0: Another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. Oh, it's yours truly, Wobby. Joined as usual by my partner and co-host Giles. We're here to break down the Minnesota Vikings, their loss against the Cincinnati Bengals, the NFC playoff picture, and their upcoming contest against the Detroit Lions as they begin their final three-game stretch of the season. And it's a big one, ladies and gentlemen. I know you're all wondering. If the Vikings can win enough games to make the playoffs and get into the postseason and see what happens, well, guess what? The playoffs, they start now for the Minnesota Vikings with three games to go, sitting at 7-7, seven and seven. Uh, particularly given how congested the NFC playoff field is, and particularly considering who the Vikings play in these final three games. All three are NFC North teams. Two games against the Lions. And then a game against the Detroit Packers, sandwiched in between. So lots to get to here, some disappointment, some things to look forward to, some interesting and controversial questions. We're going to break it all down today on the Wobcast 2.0. To help me do that is Giles per usual. Let's bring him in right now. Hey, Giles, how's it going, pal?
1: Hey, hey, happy Monday, best day of the week. Yes, sir. Um, unfortunately, not victory Monday. Uh, that yeah. was a little bit of a heart-wrenching loss in the Queen City. Uh, not necessarily the game that we were looking for, but ultimately that was kind of the the inverse of what we experienced the week prior. So uh, you got you to take both types. Ultimately, you got to figure out what went wrong and figure out how to fix it going in, into Sunday, uh, you know, because we, we definitely need a few more W's on the board.
0: Yeah, I... I kept thinking about our, our conversation in the last episode, Giles and, and my experience with Vikings fans in Las Vegas following what was a very ugly win and them expressing disappointment by it. Uh, And then sitting around a bunch of them at a sporting event, a kid's sporting event, watching the end of the game and saying, wish you had that ugly win again. Don't 3 0 win is ugly, but it feels a lot better than a 27, 24 overtime loss, you know, and, um, they always say it, it's a week to week league, Giles, and I mean, what a great example uh Vikings fans just went through these last two weeks. It's a week to week league. As as great as the events were two weeks ago when you beat Las Vegas and basically everyone else you're competing with lost. And then this week, where you lose on the road to Cincinnati and you see a couple of key teams win. It's it's a week to week league and uh those emotions they go they go up and down, and it's hard not to be a little bummed out right now if you're in Vikings nation, right? Oh, a hundred percent and I think uh my bummed nature uh comes
1: <laughs> even from beyond the the scoreboard uh I mean we'll get into more of the meat and potatoes here, but one of the biggest takeaways from this game was. I think this was the first time all season that someone has been finally able to figure out Brian Flores' defense. And I'm oh. really scared to have put that on tape. And, you know, when it comes to the next three games, I really hope that that hasn't cracked the code. Uh, otherwise, Brian Flores is really going to have to change things up.
0: Yeah. And I think he's capable of doing that, Giles. So, he'll probably take a look at that and realize some of that as well. But I think that's a a good observation uh, because really the last probably six, seven, eight weeks, it's, it's kind of been like straight A's for Brian mm-hmm. Flores. Right. Um, yep. and so he maybe hits a little bump in the road here, especially considering who, who was under center for Cincinnati. And I don't want to denigrate Jake Browning too much, but I mean, it's Jake Browning, right. And look yep. what was on the line <laughs> for you as, as the Minnesota Vikings, um, you know, battling for a playoff position and all things considered, I know it's a road game, but you, you draw the Bengals. That's pretty good. You know, when, when you're in a gotta have it uh time of the year, you get to play the Bengals without Joe Burrow. Like that's good. There's probably some teams. I, I'd rather play the Bengals on the road than a lot of teams at home. You, yeah. you know what I mean? So very much so. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and so you drop that one and, We kind of talked about, we looked at the Bengals game as maybe one you should probably, like, that's one you can maybe steal. You know, you look at games where it's like, before you play them, it's like, oh, we should win that, 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 and that. We'll probably drop this Mm -hmm. one, this one, that one. That's a 50 50. So if we can, you know, win one more of those 50 50 games and we lose, we should make the playoffs. Well, the Bengals originally was, we'll probably lose that one. But then Burrow gets hurt against the Ravens a month ago. And you're sitting there being like, well, you know, we dropped this game that we should have won, but now we can pick it up against Cincinnati because they don't have Burrow and then, and then you didn't pick that one up. So all in all, I think the, the mood is that of disappointment for Vikings Nation uh, and fans have time to wallow and lick their wounds. The Vikings do not. The Vikings must, uh, in an expedited fashion, get ready for the Detroit Lions, who they play uh, this week and... Are coming off a big win and we will preview that game in a moment um but before we do that let's let's break down further the bengals and get into some of the the pff grades um up 17 to 3 at half up 24 17 late in the game relinquish both of those leads um and then have a chance to win in overtime and don't win it and then lose in overtime what do you look at as key to that giles i i think you're you sort of unveiled a little bit of what you thought of it you're disappointed in the defensive uh outing a little bit i think i didn't like the turnovers by the quarterback especially being one one. who was yeah yeah that was bad but i was on the nick mullen side of of the three the three-headed you know debate of who do Mm -hmm. you play right um Dobbs, Mullins, or Jaron Hall. And I, I was advocating for Mullins for the last two weeks. And going into the game, it's like, well, they're finally doing it, you know. and they should have done it last week. Coming out of the game, I'm like, yeah, I guess, I guess it probably should have been Jaron Hall. Knowing what I know now, I rather would have seen what Hall could do. I know he had 300 yards and, and got the Vikings into the end zone, but I, I didn't like the ball security, and I didn't like the clutch the clutchness or lack thereof. Uh, So I know you may have some things to say about the defense, but um, I didn't love how things went offensively. I thought there were a couple of players who, who played okay on offense. And we'll get to that when we discuss the top five, but I'm not putting Mullins in my top five. I thought the turnovers hurt and uh, there were some situational things I didn't like. Uh, Overall, I just thought it was a game that slipped out of the Vikings fingers.
1: A hundred percent, and I think uh, if you were to kind of encapsulate this before the game, that's exactly what I was expecting out of Jer- out of Nick Mullins. Rather, uh, that yeah. was exactly what I was expecting. Yeah. I expected him to be able to push the ball down the field. I don't think that three hundred yards is a surprise to me or anyone else. I think that was exactly what I was expecting. And to be honest. I think he should have had three turnovers instead of two. That should have been a a pick six there on that third, uh, that third turnover just got called back because of offsides. Uh, That was exactly what I was expecting. And if you operate with the rule of thumb, that if you turn the ball over two or three times, you're not going to win the game. That obviously happened. So I think the, the sheer fact that it was so close is maybe something to celebrate for the Vikings, but at the end of the day, we still lost. So if you're trying to, put together a winning formula over the next three games, I'm still of the frame of mind that you give Jaron Hall a try because at the end of the day, you don't know what he is right now. We've yeah. gotten a limited sample size for like two series essentially. And I was not, um, hating what I was seeing. I- I'm really intrigued to see some more of that. So, um, why not start, uh, start Jaron Hall against the, the lions, see what he is. If he's horrible, you him out and put Nolan's back in. But at the yeah. end of the day, I think it's valuable enough for you to see what he has, because when you look at the upside of Nick Mullins and you look at the downside that comes along with it, I don't know if that's enough to win a playoff game. If we're just trying to be realistic with ourselves, if you're trying to go the distance and go against the Eagles or the Niners or any of these other juggernaut teams in the NFC, I don't believe that Nick Mullins can get us over the the hump. And if that happens, I'll be right along or right along with the the rest of us on the on the train. But at the end of the day, yeah. I don't believe that is part of the success formula. And I, I'm not sure if Jaron Hall is that either, but we don't know. So let's give it a try. And if it's not, then quickly go back to Nick Mullins and give it a try. And if we do go 0-3 over the next three games, you're going to get a top 10 draft pick. Now, I don't think that should be the goal or objective here, but if that is the byproduct of giving it a try, I am partially okay with that because then that gives you and I, uh, an identity for what going into the, the offseason looks like. But at the end of the day, giving Jaron Hall a try, I think is very advantageous in this position.
0: Yeah, I think it is too, and I think a sort of a a, a nice, it's better than nice, uh, really an appealing or compelling part of this,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which would nudge you to give Jaron Hall a try, is that the games are highly consequential, mm-hmm. right? It's not, yep. you're not the Carolina Panthers right now who have been eliminated you know, Mm -hmm. you're not the New England Patriots right now who have been eliminated. When you're eliminated, there's just an element of pressure that does not exist Mm -hmm. for the starting quarterback in that game. Yep. When you're 500 and you're currently the sixth seed and you got to win to stay in the picture, now that's a level of pressure that you want someone to feel if you're truly evaluating their metal, their prospects, right? So Mullins has been through that. We know mm-hmm. that he's a capable backup. We know that he's a guy that can get you out of a pinch. We also know that he's not your, your, the CEO of your company. He's not the face of your franchise, right? So mm-hmm. this is a great opportunity to play Jaron Hall. Now, I am, I am going back and forth here because I was, I was pro Mullins, anti-Hall two weeks ago and last week, and now I'm on the other side. But look, the, the context has changed. The facts have mm-hmm. changed. Right. So um, you're now seven and seven and we saw what we saw. So I'm all on board with that, Giles. If, if like, I think, in fact, I'm more than on board with it. If it was my call, that's what I would do. And if I was in the room on the offensive staff, I'd be pounding the table saying this is what we should do because uh, I'd love to see what he can do. You're going to get your answer on Hall over three games. You're going to know and you're, then you're going to have no reservations about drafting another one to develop him. Um, you know, this off season. Mm-hmm. And I don't really want to hear the, oh, we should lose th- these last three because we'll get, you know, the seventh or eighth or ninth overall pick. I I understand, you know, the point you made before we started recording was a good one where it's like, it's not just about who you could get at eight, nine or 10. It's that it's easier to trade up to one, two or three from eight, nine or 10 than it Mm -hmm. would be to trade up from 16, 17, 18 if you had won two or three of these last games. And I I do understand that. But I don't know. I'm not convinced that there's a generational prospect like we've seen in the past. If I thought that or if I knew that, I would definitely be willing to sacrifice these three games. If If a known commodity like Josh Allen or even Dak Prescott, if I knew that's who it was, I would do it. But we don't know that. And I think there Mm -hmm. is more to gain by theoretically winning enough games to get into the playoffs. I think your program benefits. I think there's more benefit there than there is by getting the eighth or ninth overall pick. I mean, you might end up with Jake Locker, you know, or Christian Ponder. (laughs) You know, I mean, is that worth losing these last three games? I don't think it is. Um so you need a
1: heck of a franchise to be able to get over that type of failure. I mean, I am surprised yep. that the Niners have been able to overcome their Trey Lance debacle. Um, I think that just goes yeah. to show how great of a drafting unit they are outside of that. But if you don't yeah. operate on a well uh, you know, a finely tuned machine, uh, and the rest of those draft picks, you are going to become a dumpster fire franchise if you give up the farm and then miss on that. Um, so yeah. that is something that you need to be uh, very carefully when uh, very carefully considering when you're when you're uh, evaluating going Agreed. up. I mean, yep. when you're looking at the Panthers, they're looking like they're in a tough spot right now because <laughs> um, they don't have many strengths right now and it's seemingly looking like they missed on their quarterback.
0: Yeah, it does. And they they don't think that yet. And so they're going to keep surrounding him with players right, mm-hmm. um, to, to try and make themselves right. But yeah, you can't feel too optimistic about uh, what they have going on there. Um, Going back to the and game, they, though. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 go ahead. Oh, no, no, okay,
1: go ahead. You know, I was just going to say, ultimately, you've given up so many draft picks outside of that to go up and draft him, is that they don't have a lot of capital to go surround him. Uh, yeah. You know, I think they'll be okay, but they're definitely not in a winning position to go enter a
0: Super Bowl window. Yep. No, not, not even close. So going back to the game, though, the other thing, too, I wanted to talk about with you is that um, in overtime, the third and one and fourth and one, the two QB sneaks. Mm -hmm. Like, I get the QB sneak on third and one, Mm -hmm. but after you saw that, I don't know how you can go back to that. How can you go back and do that again? Yep. I didn't like that at all.
1: Ultimately, I mean, uh, you tell me if you disagree, but looking at it on tape, I think the third down, I actually thought we got a first down. I thought they Might've placed the it. ball incorrectly, but I mean, yeah. that's easy for me to say watching from here, right? I don't want to completely cool. slam the refs there, but I got the 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 impression that Kevin O'Connell thought that as well. Uh, and I think he was about ready to call a timeout, and he was told upstairs that like, oh, they thought they placed the ball right, but didn't. And I think he <sighs> thought, all right, let's give this one more go. Let's give it a try. I think the part that you can maybe... Kind of question is that if you are going to run that play call maybe you need to change out your personnel now he spoke out publicly that hey we wanted to keep 11 personnel in the field because we didn't want the defense to switch out and go into a goal line defense yep. you know and, and prevent us from scoring so i think he was trying to play chess in that in that uh fashion but okay. he wasn't prepared to actually pay, play chess right he was thinking about the next play and i think that can that can backfire on you which it did right that that blew up in his face and you really should have put CJ Ham or some much thicker dudes out there. You had Brandon Powell doing the tush push. Like, he's a tiny dude. He's not the guy you want pushing. And I think the reason it works for the Philadelphia Eagles is that uh, Jalen Hurts is a thick, very strong, lower-body quarterback. He's maybe the best in the business. And all due respect to Nick Mullins, he is not that guy. Furthermore, the Eagles have one of the best centers of a generation and here Bradbury's fine, but he's definitely not the strongest dude on the team. So when you're looking at evaluating your opportunity to go there, that's my only concern is that like, Hey, if you're going to go for that, especially twice, put your different personnel on the field. Like, I don't know. I mean, I I get that that exposes the direction you're going, but at the end of the day, it failed twice.
0: So I don't know. (laughs) I, you're, you're exactly right. It's just, I, they had two cracks at it and I get, I get doing it once. I mean, the quarterback sneak is typically an effective play. I mean, more times mm-hmm. than not effective, you know? So you think if you got one yard to go twice and you did two quarterback sneaks, even with Nick Mullins, you could make it. But given what I just, you have other options that I think are, I would rather a fullback dive with CJ Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, uh, that would have been the play. Yeah, or on third down, knowing that you could quarterback sneak on fourth. How about some sort of isolated one-on-one route with Hawkinson or Jefferson? Yep. You know, asking them to beat, beat somebody. Yep. How about, how about Ty Chandler, who averaged 5.7 yards per carry? How about just a normal whatever run play just that yep. you've been running all game?
1: Yep. So there's always needed inches.
0: In, Yeah, there's all these things that you can second guess on, you know, Monday after the game, and I get it. Like, I've been on the other side of this where you know, I'm a member of the team, and I'm defending the coach's play calling on a Monday after a loss, but you know, you had two cracks at it. I get one time trying it. I don't get two times trying it. It's not like some of the, you know, you know who else was a great quarterback sneak quarterback was Tom Brady, who Mm -hmm. was not built like Jalen Hurts, did not have speed, but had moxie and experience and was just good at it Mm -hmm. you can't think that nick like what have you seen from nick mullins to make you think he's a good quarterback sneak quarterback i I don't know and this was a key this wasn't you know third and one in the third quarter i mean this was in overtime Mm -hmm. you know so it's like this is i give kevin o'connell so much credit for the way he guides this team and the way he designs offense and calls plays and but the, we get these little anecdotal times where I'm like, that it just it makes no sense that you did that. Like, mm-hmm. it's, I would rather have Kevin O'Connell himself quarterback sneaking than Nick Mullins. I mean, he's yep. O'Connell's a big guy, you know. Oh, he, I, he's a tall McVeigh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Ah, that I think really he was clearly sick, trying to get too cute. He was planning on the next play. He wanted to yeah. take advantage of the defensive unit that was out there, and he thought he could go score on them. And I think he yeah. just assumed, "Oh, we got a, it's a quarterback sneak. We'll get it." And I think on third Ugh. down, he thought that the ball was incorrectly placed, so he's like, "All right, we'll give it one more try, and then I'm going to take advantage of this with the defensive unit that's on the field. We have mismatches. We're going to go for it." And then it blew up in his face. Yep, he was trying yeah, to get too cute.
0: Did. Yeah, so that, that was a big bummer for the Vikings uh, on top of, you know, a lot of other mistakes that were made. Thought there were some yep. bright spots. I already mentioned Ty Chandler. I mean, yeah, you, you know, I'll read his box score to you. It's 23 carries, 132 yards and a touchdown. And a lot <laughs> of times in a situation like that, Giles, it's like, well, yeah, but he had that weird 64-yard run. Right? So, you take that away and he, you know, he only had 74 yards. He didn't have that. He had a 30-yard run, but, like, that was a really good, like, Ty Chandler looked good. Am, mm-hmm. I, am I overstating that? Like, I, I think I that's what like, we've been waiting to see all season. Yes. You know, a lot of people were proponents of his coming out of camp last year and this year. Uh, I, I thought he looked good, and I thought I have to imagine that the offensive line from a run-blocking grade standpoint had to have been at least decent because you don't get 5.7 yards per carry on 23 attempts and not not do well blocking the run. So I got to think that the, the run blocking was pretty decent for the Vikings as well. But Ty Chandler, to me, is the bigger story. And it just goes to show, I think, you know, you can win with Ty Chandler. You don't need to spend high draft picks or lots of cap and cash on on running backs.
1: I completely agree. And I think uh, we've been waiting for a coming out party from Ty Chandler. And this was that game where he was given the full confidence and the lead back status. And he came out and showed out. So that's exactly what we yep. want to see. And I think that will play pretty heavy hand in terms of the determination made in the offseason on who gets paid and who gets the, the RB1 status. And I think uh, that will really inform what our running back lo- <clears throat> excuse me, running yep. back room looks like next year. So really, really yep. excited to see that.
0: Yeah. So a couple of things I wanted to get to before we sort of move on to the Lions game guiles. One is, and I think they could sort of dovetail with each other. They could sort of be interwoven. Let's start with the PFF grades. Do you have the data handy? I do. Okay. Let's get into those and and talk about maybe who, who we liked, who looked good. Our top, I'll guess the top five and, and, and talk about some things from a PFF standpoint, you found interesting as you dove into the grades and then, there's a few individuals that I want to I talk about. And we'll see if you mention them in the PFF stuff. And if you don't, I'll bring them up. But if you do, we'll sort of go right into that conversation. So from a PFF standpoint, anything that stood out or anything notable or surprising? Um,
1: I think there's definitely some things that stood out. Uh, are, are there players that you want to call out first for the top
0: five, or do you just want me to go through them? I'll, I'll call out who I thought were top five. Offensively, I would have put Chandler, Addison, Derasaw, Hawkinson, and Oliver in my top five. And Oliver is more of like his brand is to be in the top five. I'm not like rubber stamping that for sure. Like I'd bet a thousand dollars on it, but I'm yep. I guess he played well, and mostly because I think we ran the ball so effectively. So I think he's a part of that. But Chandler, Addison, Hawk—I I thought Hawkinson. Played really well. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm sure Hawkinson's in there, and I'm sure Chandler's in there. But I also put Addison, Derrissaw, and Oliver in my top five. You have a very keen eye. You're almost
1: uh, five for five. Uh, you're four for five. Uh, starting at number All five. Right is josh oliver he had a okay. pretty terrific day he comes in at a 74.6 grade in the, the pass blocking game which was his big uh, addition in the in the game on saturday um so it did very very well i would say he struggled a little bit in the run game to be honest which we'll get oh, to really? is, is a, a bigger uh, overarching theme of the game but uh did not do well uh, against the run game he actually had a 60.1 grade overall in the run game which is not great yep. um but then coming in at number four was Justin Jefferson at a 77.5 oh. uh, did very, very well. He also struggled in the run blocking game, which is not a huge surprise for him. But he's also done better in previous games. He had a 57.9 grade in the run. So uh, there's there's some uh, or in run blocking to be very specific. So there's some things to be improved in there. But then moving into number three is TJ Hawkinson. He came in at a 78.9 grade overall. He had an 80 grade pass wise uh, did very well, but also in the run blocking game had a uh, 58.5 grade did very poor in the run blocking game. So once again, another theme happening, but coming in at number two, Ty Chandler coming in at yeah. a 79.2 grade, did very, very well. Um, exactly what you want. He did he caught some passes, uh, uh, was great in the pass blocking game. He had an 84.5 grade. Uh, did very well, obviously, in the run, uh, had over 100 a, a yards, so exactly what you want to see out of Ty Chandler. Um And uh, we'll get into this here in a second uh, in terms of the run game, but we're going to go to number one first, and that's Jordan Addison coming in at at, at an 85.1 grade. Did absolutely what we wanted him to be. I think we mentioned it during one of the last episodes. We expected more of a coming out party from him once Justin Jefferson was on the field, and I think that happened. I think there was a lot of attention paid to JJ, and Jordan Addison was able to capitalize on that. Um, But also for Jordan Addison, one interesting trend is that he had a 58.1 grade run blocking-wise. So we didn't have a single offensive lineman in the top 5. Now I will say, uh everyone but Dalton Reisner scored above an 80 grade in the run blocking or I'm, I'm sorry, okay. in the pass blocking game, but there okay. wasn't a single offensive lineman that scored above a 60 in run blocking. Ooh. We had a horrible day run blocking and we had a great day in the run game. In my How? opinion, all success needs to go to Ty Chandler. He did okay. phenomenal. Like the the offensive line was struggling and Ty Chandler found a way to get it done.
0: Nice. Well, yeah, I thought he looked good too. So, yeah, yeah. I assumed the offensive line also played well because we, we, the Vikings ran the ball so well, but it's, it's interesting that they didn't. And that's even more kudos than to Chandler. You even, you elevate him even a little bit more. Um, All right. Interesting. Defensively, Uh, hmm. This I had is a, little a little harder because it's a tale I, of two halves. Yep, I had a little harder time with this, but Harrison Smith, Wanham, and Pace, I had in there. Mm-hmm. I thought Murphy could have made a play on uh, on a big uh, reception in overtime, but so I don't want that to uh, sort of mask what was probably an other, otherwise a pretty good game. So I'll put Murphy in there as well. After that, though, I'm kind of stuck. So Murphy, Smith, Wanham, and Pace, I, I definitely have in the top five.
1: So we do have an honorable mention going to uh, Ivan Pace Jr. He came in at sixth with a ah, 62.2 yeah. grade. Honestly, yeah. he struggled across the board. He did really good in tackling, uh, but struggled across the rest of the categories. Did not do well in coverage. Did not do well in pass rush. Run defense was kind of an issue, but uh, he did get an 81 grade uh Okay. In the tackling, uh, you know, uh, uh, side of the fence, so he did well in tackling, but ultimately he was the sixth overall graded player. But coming yeah. in at number five was a Caleb Evans at a sixty four point one grade. Struggled in the run game, but did decent in coverage, um, which has been kind of his mo. I would say generally, um, but ultimately that's a Caleb Evan, Evans at five. Coming in at number four is Did you want him at a sixty four point six grade? Did well in every category except for he did have nine coverage snaps where he he backed off into coverage and he did atrocious. He was not good. He had a 36.3 grade in coverage, but in the rest of the categories did very, very well. So it's been nice to see kind of a, another force outside of Daniel Hunter uh, being able to capitalize on that. So uh, the the fourth overall graded player coming in at number three is Harrison Smith at a 65.0 grade did Well in pretty much every category, uh, except for coverage, (laughs) ironically. So he did rush the passer. He blitzed a lot, and I think did pretty well in that category. Um, Did well in run defense and pass rush. Uh, But then coming in number two is kind of a a bright spot here is Sheldon Day, defensive tackle here, uh, coming in at a 76.5 grade. Um, Did have one coverage snap, which is ironic. Uh, Did not do well in coverage. uh, So I brought him down just a tick. But uh, at the end of the day, Sheldon Day coming in at number two. And number one is Byron Murphy Jr. Coming in at an 83.5 grade. Now, I yep. will say he did slightly above average in coverage, did decent pass rush, had a little bit of a rough tackling game. But the area that that really drove his success was the run game. He had a 92.5 grade in the run. Um, so exciting to see Byron uh, step up in that capacity because I think good. that was help, helpful in that category. Um, but ultimately, those are our top five defensively.
0: All right, great. No, no big surprises there for me. Uh, I think that all sort of checks out based on what I watched in the game and rewatched. Would you agree with that or did anything there surprise you?
1: Um, Sheldon Day kind of surprised me because he did play 23 snaps, which is a lot higher than I think he's typically used to. Um, One area that I think was a little surprising was Cam Bynum. He had a a really rough game and I think he's been playing very well thus far this season. Yeah. I think Josh Metellus got a little bit washed out. He had a little bit of a rough game. So there was areas where our normal starters maybe didn't show up as much as they usually do.
0: Yeah, and those two guys have been pretty high performers all year from an eye test standpoint, but also from the PFF side of things. Giles, Mm -hmm. Metellus, and Bynum have been been doing well uh, by way of PFF grade. Josh Oliver has been a great signing. Addison, a Mm -hmm. great draft pick. I think pace is showing signs of living up to what we sort of hoped after camp in the preseason. Dalton Reisner appears to have been a wise signing. What I wanted to bring up is what has happened to KJ Osborne and Brian Asimov? <laughs> you know? Two well, guys That's a great we question. Were, yeah, I mean, and I don't want us to get lost in this because we have these are these are like big picture global in, like things to talk about in the offseason. And there's been other really good moves and other really good development, so mm-hmm. I don't want to take away from that. But Osborne and Asamoah were two guys that people were excited about. It's like mm-hmm. this is KJ's time to step up as the number two guy with you know Thielen gone. KJ can do it. And then Asamoah was like perfect fit and Brian Flores' defense can play safety or linebacker. Big you know special like, and neither one of those guys is really been key contributors in fact osborne has had some important some key drops mm-hmm. um so i don't know that's something to look at i don't know that kj will be back next year i think mm-hmm. as probably should be uh if you can find a, like find a spot for him in this defense but those are two guys that have kind of been disappointing uh you know campaigns I completely agree. I think Addison is the only reason that we've been able
1: to put together a productive campaign so far this season when it comes to the wide receiver room. Addison has done uh, phenomenal things on the field considering that he hasn't gotten a ton of playtime until as of late. I feel like uh, early on in the season he was more limitedly used. Uh, but when it comes to Osborne out of 119 qualified wide receivers so far this season, if you had to make a guess of where he would rank across all wide receivers. Uh, You know, or at least, you know, uh, starting caliber, you know, uh, WR1, 2, or maybe 3. Where would you think he ranks out of 119 qualified wide receivers? Right around 100. He's 110th. So he's in the bottom yeah. 10 of all qualified receivers this year, uh, which is so sad to see, because this is a, yep. a make it or break it year for him. This is contract year. And I think he is working his way out of a big contract, unfortunately, because I think he was that right on the is. precedent yeah. where like, wow, he's maybe the best wide receiver three in the league and had an opportunity to step up and unfortunately either has squandered it or hasn't been been put into a su- position to succeed. But at the end of the yep. day, he has not performed well. Um, And I think uh You know, imagine had he been able to step up and you had three qualified wide receivers um, plus T.J. Hawkinson, I think that would have been quite phenomenal. Yeah. So that's, yeah. yeah.
0: You know, and it'd be a great, another great weapon for whoever's going to play quarterback against the Lions to have who, you know, I I don't know who it's going to be. It's probably going to be Mullins, but I would like it to be Hall. Either way, if you had Mm -hmm. another option there against a team like the Lions who are likely going to score, you know, be able to put up some points, Uh, That would be nice, but that's uh, those two are conversations for a later time. Uh, Let's uh, let's keep our focus on the here and now with the Vikings and um, for them coming up next. That's the Detroit Lions guys. You ready Mm -hmm. to talk about them? Let's do it. All right. It is uh, Lions at Vikings on Sunday, which is Christmas Eve, by the way, uh, at noon central time from U.S. Bank Stadium. The Vikings installed as the underdogs in this home game against the Detroit Lions three and a half point favorites for the Lions the over under is 46 and a half Vikings enter at seven and seven two and four at home which is very strange for the Minnesota Vikings (laughs) coming off this disappointing loss against the Bengals they are currently the sixth seed in the NFC battling the following teams for a wild card position Rams Saints Seahawks who have yet to play this week. They play the Eagles on Monday night. Falcons and Saints. Dallas, Philadelphia, San Francisco were counting as shoe-ins. So those are the teams the Vikings are battling. The Lions enter at 10-4, 5-2 on the road, coming off a 42-17 to beatdown of the Denver Broncos at Ford Field. They are currently the third seed in the NFC as NFC North leaders. So when you look at this game, guys, other than it being huge, Uh, for playoff implications for both teams. Um, What do you see?
1: I honestly see a ton of mismatches if I'm being completely candid. I'm a big uh, fan of looking for the positive here, but I think it's also important to recognize the reality, and this is a solid team. This is maybe one of the best rosters in the NFL. When you look at the Lions offense, I mean, starting with the offensive line, I believe they're the best offensive line in football right now. I mean, when you t- talk about Panay Sewell, he is the best tackle in football right now. Uh, I think Christian Derisaw's injuries have kind of pushed him down, and Panay Sewell has taken advantage of that, and he is the best tackle in football right now. Uh, Frank Ragnow, he is the, pretty much the best center in football right now. You have uh, Glasgow at right guard, he is yep. a top five right uh, right guard. You have Decker over a left tackle, although he's not the best tackle in the league. I would say he's still top 10, top 20. Like he is doing very, very well holding over to the blind side. The only uh, uh, mark against the offensive line is their left guard. And he is what I would consider to be league average. <laughs> uh, so if your worst scenario is it left guard and it's league average, I think you're doing just fine because you yeah. have pro bowlers at the other four positions. You have Sam Laporta at tight end. He's playing like a top five unit. You have Reynolds who uh, is at the wide receiver. He's, He's middle of the pack, but, uh, you know, it's still a 71.6 grade over the cro- course of this season doing just fine over there, holding down that right wide receiver spot. And obviously you have Amon Ross St. Brown, who is acting like a top five wide receiver this year. Um, so you have some really powerful weapons offensively. Obviously, Goff has been to Super Bowl and he's playing like a top 10 quarterback right now, especially behind that offensive line. So at the end of the day, he is controlling that offense and moving it forward, just like he did when he was with the Rams his- that year that went to the Super Bowl. Yep. Gibbs is still a, a fringe top 10 uh, running back. I wouldn't say he is uh, he is a showstopper. He's not a Derrick Henry, but he's still a guy that can get it done in the run game. Um, so when it comes to their offensive line and the rest of the offensive unit, I think our, our defense is really going to meet its match right now this week. Uh,
0: yeah, so before we go to the other side of the ball and talk about personnel there, that's a really good breakdown, Giles, of the Lions. When I look at the matchup with the Vikings, I am okay with the Vikings matchup at wide receiver. I think Amon Ross St. Brown is very good and, mm-hmm. and you know, Reynolds and Jamison Williams and all those cats are good, but from a personnel standpoint with Murphy and Makai Blackman and Caleb Evans and Metellus and Bynum and Harrison, I'm okay with that matchup. Like that, that to me is competitive. And if, if, Goff feels pressure and one thing leads to another i think the vikings can turn the lions over in that area mm-hmm. in that matchup yep um and i i like i'm okay with Flores' ability to scheme for jameer gibbs because mm-hmm. i think gibbs is so versatile and good enough at enough things that you need to be sound schematically to stop someone like Jameer Gibbs. You need to have a plan for him, and I think Brian Flores can do that. Mm -hmm. Where I really don't like this matchup for the Vikings at all is when it comes to David Montgomery, the offensive line, and Sam Laporta. I think that whole thing is a big problem for the Vikings' defense right now. I question their ability to... be able to stop Detroit from manhandling them and effectively running the ball with a workhorse like Montgomery. And then what their offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson can do with Laporta knowing that he's running the ball four and a half, five yards to carry with Montgomery. Now what Mm -hmm. now, how can you leverage that and get Laporta open against linebackers and safeties when you're, you're got You got to dedicate an extra guy to stop Montgomery in this run game yep I think Laporta hurts you, so I don't like the middle of the field here at all for the Vikings. I'm okay with Gibbs and St Brown and things on the outside and them not getting over the top on you. I'm concerned about I'm concerned about this us showing up on Monday to record, and we're like, "Wow, they just whooped our ass up front that, that's I a think- concern.
1: I think it definitely should be a concern, especially when you consider Brian Flores' defensive scheme. Uh, Obviously, it's predicated on a ton of pressure and simulated pressure and blitzing. I think, I mean, up until this point, I think we still lead the league in uh, a number of three-man rushes and the number of six-man rushes, right? And I think uh, the Lions are are a really intriguing unit to be able to pick up that blitz. So I think it'll be interesting to see what Brian Flores comes up with a game plan against these
0: guys, because uh, I think that's going to be hard to do against this unit. Me too. I mean, the Lions offensive line, you said it, Giles, is one of the best, if not the best in the league. And when it goes well for them, like it's it's they're a problem, you Mm -hmm. know, like it is a mean unit. (laughs) Yes. And if they go up against another mean unit, like another mean defensive line, it's like a good battle and they can even maybe lose. But Mm -hmm. they this is a mismatch. Yeah, this this offensive line against the Vikings' defensive line is a mismatch, and uh, the Lions would be wise to focus in on that. And it may not pay dividends at you know in the first quarter or even by the second quarter, but it will if they stick with it. Mm-hmm. It will, um, unless someone can just jump out of their skin, play out of their minds for the Vikings. A couple of guys, maybe Jonathan Bullard or you know Tonga. Someone can just play great be fundamentally mm-hmm. sound, have great leverage, play great. You know, that would be awesome to see. Mm-hmm. But I'm concerned about that uh, that part of the matchup here uh, for the Vikings and uh, going against the Lions. All right, uh, defensively for Detroit, some really good players here, Giles. What stands out to you defensively? I think you, you probably start with Aiden Hutchinson, oh, yeah. um, uh, but there are some other players here on defense too that are pretty good.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's clear that you have to start with Aiden Hutchinson. He's playing like a top five, or at least a fringe top five head rusher right now. I mean, Going into this next season, I think he is clearly starting to come into his own and started really adapt to the uh, Detroit Lions scheme. And he is a, a freight train. Uh, I wasn't super high on him last year. I think we have a lot of uh, episodes where I've been kind of meh on Hutchinson, but I think he's really come into his own this year, and yep. I think he deserves a ton of respect, uh, especially with Brian uh, O'Neill being out. This is going to be a problem for us being able to chip block yeah. against him. That's going to be a problem over there on the left side, or I mean, our right side there, left. Um, but he's definitely going to be a guy that's going to find his way to the quarterback. Unfortunately. Uh, especially if we play like a a guy like Nick Mullins, who is more of a pocket passer. Uh, I think not having mobility will be a problem against uh, Aiden Hutchinson. So I'm, I am uh, concerned on that front.
0: Yeah. The, the Aiden Hutchinson thing, the problem there is it's especially in situations where it's, it's a known passing situation, right? Mm -hmm. Third and long two minute offense, uh, yep. down by 14 those situations Aiden Hutchinson just I mean he just feasts he just mm-hmm. eats because he's his get off is so good Um, he's typically going against a right tackle which is not always your best pass blocker I mean he's a good pass blocker but he's not like your left tackle Um, mm-hmm. and there's enough just stuff that you got to worry about in the middle of the line that you can't always double team Aiden Hutchinson. And if you no. are, you're chipping him with a back or a tight end and now you're taking one guy out of the route concept for mm-hmm. you know a second and a half and that's a problem. So yeah, Aiden Hutchinson, you got to have a good plan for him. Um there's some other good good pass rushers that they have. Um at the second level, you know Alex Anzalone's a a guy, but I think he's a smart, heady player. Uh, mm-hmm. they have a young linebacker named Jack Campbell who's pretty good. Uh yep. they went out and signed one of my favorite corners this offseason in Cameron Sutton. Um and he's coming yep. off a pretty solid game. Uh Brian Branch, the rookie out of Alabama, is pretty good. So um you he's know, a great defense. Year, is he? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh,
1: he I would say he's a fringe top twenty five cornerback right now. He is he's doing yeah. very
0: well. Yeah, and, and he's versatile. They play him at nickel, yep. they can play him at safety. You know, this is mm-hmm. a defense that was much maligned last year, Giles. I mean, they get they, I think like in the first half of the season, they were historically bad, and then they turned it yeah. around <laughs> when the Lions, as a team, turned it around. And um, you know, I think Aaron Glenn's got a few a few things going on here that are pretty good. They've they've got some versatility to them, and um, but I don't. I'm more concerned about the Lions offense than I am about the defense. I'm more concerned about giving up 30 than I am about scoring 30, if you follow me. I there. agree. I completely okay. agree. I mean, even according to PFF, the Detroit Lions are third
1: overall offensively. I mean, passing-wise, they're sixth. Uh, pass blocking, uh, they're in the top five. Receptions, they're you know, in the top ten. Or they're fourth, rather. Uh, the run game, they're doing phenomenally. So, uh, yeah, offensively, that's what scares me about the Minnesota – or the Detroit Lions,
0: rather. That's yeah. going to be a force to be reckoned with. If the game is close, I give the Vikings an edge uh, because they're at home, and Mm. I don't like... I like Dan Campbell. Generally, I like him. I don't like him with game management stuff. Like, I think he struggles there, and I think he... I don't, I don't, I I really want to say this the right way because I'm not, I don't want to be overly critical of him, but like, I think when in clutch moments, when push comes to shove, he goes like full meathead on it and he's just like, we're going, we're going Yeah. like, we're just going to go, you know? And like, I, he makes mistakes there and you can't just win through toughness. You also have to win through smarts. Yeah. So. Uh, I've seen him make some boneheaded game management decisions now. I've seen Kevin O'Connell do that, too, from time mm-hmm. to time. But a close game here favors the Vikings. The, the threat of this is the game getting away from Minnesota, mm-hmm. for, you know, late first half because they're just getting manhandled by a yep. Detroit Lions team that, because of Dan Campbell, prides itself on being mean and tough and nasty and physical. That's yeah. that's the threat here for Minnesota.
1: Honestly, if I'm the GM for the Detroit Lions this season, I think next off season, I think you said Dan Campbell, you've clearly built a culture that everyone has got behind. You've built one of the oh, best yeah. teams in the NFL. For being completely honest. But one thing, if we're trying to improve into this next year, uh, you got to get a game manager for you, like similar to what Kevin O'Connell has, or at least the success of what we had last year. Maybe uh, I think that would bring the Detroit Lions in into an elite category because they're a phenomenal team across every category. I mean, especially if you give them another offseason to be able to uh, beef up their roster. They're doing very, very well. I mean, uh, I think the Lions are still going to be Lions, right? Uh, yeah. At least when it comes to this year. I don't think that they're really going to go the distance, but I mean, they're they're a great roster. And I don't think they should just be undercounted. So uh, I think that's um, you know both a good and bad perspective for this upcoming Sunday.
0: I think the Lions really, really are. A, a, it's a it's a very good roster. It's so interesting what they might have to do at quarterback. I think. Mm-hmm. I think they could have Goff for another year maybe or so, but um, it's curious because a lot of, I know they took Hendon Hooker in the last draft, but they were a sneaky Mm -hmm. contender to take a quarterback early in the first round last year. They took Gibbs, Jameer Gibbs early, I think 20th Mm -hmm. or something like that. They were at, it might've been, no, it might've been in the top 10, might've been eight or nine. Anyway, was it ninth? I want to say it was yeah, yeah. They, they they were a team that could have taken a quarterback early and I I think they still are this year so but mm-hmm. for a team that's got that question at quarterback it's a very good roster and and a heck of a tough team to play at this stage in the season the Vikings have to do it two times in the final three weeks which is difficult and challenging but also opportunity for Minnesota the team you're chasing uh, and you're behind by two games you get to play them twice right mm-hmm. so. That's a good opportunity for the Vikings. So from a game flow standpoint, Giles and a prediction uh, standpoint, what do you got for Vikings lions? Oh, this is a, a difficult one because there's a lot of different ways
1: that this could go, but I think, I really think the Vikings might lose this one. Um, ironically, I, I'm predicting the exact scenario that happened against the Bengals. Now I might get there a little differently, but I think this might be a 24-27 loss, uh, unfortunately, because I, I think we're going to struggle. Um, but I still think we have the offensive weaponry to be able to put some points on the board. But I think defensively, we've maybe met our match for this season.
0: Yeah. It pains me to say. I know. I I really put a lot of thought into the whole, like, in certain areas, who do you favor? Like in this type Mm -hmm. of game or, you know, and that's why, you know, we got into so much detail on where the Vikings have advantages and where they don't. And I really do feel that in a close game, if this is a one possession game or, you know, a one score game in the fourth quarter, the Vikings really have an advantage. The problem is it's hard for me to draw up a scenario where, the Vikings have command of this game or a lead in this game late. I just, I don't see it. I see the Lions being too dynamic on offense and getting a lead here. And I, I don't know that with Nick Mullins, that the Vikings can find a way to jump back into it and take the lead. So I, I see it kind of being one of these things where the Lions get a lead from a game flow standpoint, the Lions get a lead early. 14 Mm -hmm. nothing or 10 nothing something like that and then the Vikings fight and they it's like the Lions have 14 points at the end of the first quarter but they don't end up with you know 38 or 42 at the end of the game like they got 10 or 14 early on but the Vikings sort of calm it down but the Lions are just able to just kind of stave them off a little bit so Mm -hmm. to me it's like you know 27 14 or 27-17, 27-17, something like that, uh, where the Lions yep. win the game. I really wanted to find some dramatic, fun prediction, you know, 23-21, a missed field goal by Badgley <laughs> or something like that for Detroit, you know. But realistically, it's hard for me to see that with the form that each of these teams are in right now. I can't predict a Vikings victory. I think there are avenues for them to do it, Giles, but uh, – I don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately.
1: Uh, I think we're definitely aligned. If, if uh, Jaron Hall is able to get on the field, whether that's via start or via Nick Mullins benching, and then he gets on the field and is able to surprise us all and really put up some productive play, I think there's a chance that this entire production could go awry. Um, that's the hopeful, hopeful, optimistic side of Giles, but yep. I think uh, considering the turnover-prone ability to Nick Mullins and the stoutness of the Detroit Lions, I think we're going we're to struggle against them.
0: Yeah, me too, and I hope we're both wrong. That would be fun if we could yes. get on air on Monday and talk about a an upset victory for the Vikings and look forward to a Green Bay Packers-Minnesota Vikings New Year's Eve showdown uh, with the Vikings at, at eight wins. That would be a lot of fun, <clears throat> but uh, we'll see. We will see. Yeah. I think it's a fun matchup. I think it's a fun Interesting dynamic matchup here between these two teams, and I'm looking forward to seeing how each side attacks it. Uh, my main concern for the Vikings, though, is, uh, is the Lions offensive line and David Montgomery and Sam Laporta. Like That's a handful. Hopefully the Vikings can come up with a good plan for that. Uh, anything in your notebook we didn't get to yet, Giles, before we wrap this thing up? If we didn't cover it, play Jaron Hall next Sunday. Uh, that's, that's the last <laughs> thing I got in here. <laughs> I think we covered that. I think we covered that. <laughs> Um, that's, that's what I would say too. Let's see what he's got. Let's give him three games. All, all games will have con you know, there'll be consequential games with lots on the line. Would love to see the Vikings do it. Haven't seen an announcement or, or any sort of declaration by the Vikings, although it's only Monday. So time will tell on that. Uh, no matter what happens though, we'll be here to talk about it on Monday. Uh, when Giles and I record the next episode of the Wobcast 2.0, we encourage you to like, subscribe and follow the Wobcast 2.0. You can do that wherever you follow all your other favorite football content, uh, Google Play, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, we're on YouTube. So vikings Lion Sunday at noon. Enjoy the game, everyone. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Until next time, Skull Vikings.